might have heard that the Talica boys were gonna play some heavy shit tonight. All right, welcome to another Metal Tales from the Road. I'm here with my buddy Cosmo Moore. Thank you for taking the time to hang with us today. Happy to be here. Uh, we're going to be talking about the All Within My Hands Foundation show. The third one took place in LA, December 16th. And I was just checking before we started rolling to make sure your name was Cosmo. It always makes me think of Seinfeld because that's uh, Kramer's name. And you were just telling me that uh, your parents were hippies. Yeah, my mom and dad uh, were hippies. Uh, dad was a musician uh, playing in L.A., and he met my mom at a concert in San Francisco. Uh, he was a bass player. It was his birthday. He had a big bottle of Jack, and mom was in the front oh, with her mom. And my dad points to my mom and says, hey, you, my birthday, you want to come party with us? And she said, sure, as long as my mom and my girlfriends can come with us. And that was it. That was a match made in heaven, and uh, they had me. Um, I'm 39. So I was Cosmo before, um, Kramer. Yeah. Mom said while I was in the womb, I told her my name was Cosmo. <laughs> uh, okay. And, uh, when grandma heard that it was going to be my name, she's like, no, it's not. And so legally I'm Christopher, but I've been Cosmo my entire life. Okay, and I cool. kind of like having, you know, bills come to Christopher and, you know, but I am Cosmo. So, are you like a California guy? Are you raised out there? Born and raised. My grandfather was actually born in LA. I'm a third generation Angelino, which is really unusual. I've been um, reading Quentin Tarantino's new book about movies, and he focuses kind of on the mid-70s, early 70s. There's a lot of talk about kind of hippie culture, because a lot of 70s cinema was a reaction to a lot of the movies being made in the 60s, most notably like Easy Rider, and it's a really gnarly movie called Joe that I'd never heard of that I just saw um what's it like been for you so you're 39 we're the same age raised by hippies they named you cosmo dad met mom at a concert <laughs> how did you turn out where do you where do you fit uh, in all that they they seemed really normal for me they, they weren't hippies once i came into the picture yeah. um and dad was a working musician uh and uh actor and mom was a stay-at-home mom so it all seemed very normal to me and i'm just now later in life hearing at my wedding uh, some friends came over to me and said, dude, your dad's crazy. They, they, he was just telling me a story about riding over the Hollywood Hills on his motorcycle, drinking a thing of Jack on his way to play with uh, Hoyt Axton. Oh. And uh, so, yeah, I missed all of that stuff. But uh, they, they lived with a couple other hippies uh, in the Hollywood Hills while he was uh, working in the studios and stuff. And um, uh, so I, I turned out pretty normal. Now I've got three kids and I'm the stay-at-home dad. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You seem like you kind of have like a really stable family man raising those three kids, uh, you know, not riding a motorcycle over the hills with a <laughs> bottle of Jack. Yeah. Yeah. I, they did all the wild stuff. And my mom was actually a stewardess back in the day and she survived five plane crashes. What? What airline? Yep. Uh, Trans World Airline, TWA. It's TWA. out of business now. Yeah. Uh, 
but back then during Vietnam, the government would contract the airlines to take soldiers over. So she was flying into Vietnam. They got shot down, crashed right by the airport, and she spent the night in a foxhole with a bunch of GI Joes and survived. <laughs> I mean, someone used to like make your family story into a television series. I know, I know. Before before they kick the bucket, she's got to start writing this stuff down. Um, she uh, dated Reggie Jackson, the famous baseball player, for a lot of years back in the '60s or '70s. He asked her to marry her. She dated Clint Eastwood for a little while. What? So yeah, yep, yep. She was working as a a hotel lobby girl in Hawaii, and uh, Clint Eastwood was staying there, and they dated for a little while. So you got to get that stuff on tape because she's a a heck of a person. So what does your dad think about that? Are you guys able to watch Clint Eastwood films at home or is he like, no, not that dude. (laughs) No, dad is chill. Uh, Dad passed away in 2019, but he was a a super easygoing guy. And uh, his uh, highlight of his music career, he was um, with an old folk singer, John Stewart. And he was his bass player for a lot of years. And when he passed, it was crazy. The Facebook messages I would get from his hardcore fan base, like, dude, your dad was awesome. And I still remember this concert. And I, I had no idea he had that kind of reach just as a, a bass player. And uh, he played with Hoyt Axton, who was the guy who originally wrote the uh, Joy to the World song. Uh, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. They sold that to Three Dog Night. Wow. So that was uh, another little cool thing that dad was on the original studio recording for that. Oh man. Well, I'm sorry to hear that he passed, but it, he sounds like such a interesting guy. Did he, I've got, I've got his P base. Uh, mom kept it and uh, apparently that's worth quite a bit. I have no musical talent, but I've been playing around with it, trying to learn nothing else matters on the bass. And I'm going to pass that on down to my kids in case yeah. they have musical talent. What a cool, uh, what a cool like family artifact to have, you know, especially sure. if it's a P base from the sixties. I mean, those, are, those are actually just valuable, but obviously the family connection is makes it, invaluable you know for you guys yeah 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 it is from the 60s and uh i i brought it out it hadn't been played in a probably a decade and still in tune i'm like oh cool yeah would he you know him being a musician your mom being you know the kind of person that's dating musicians dating actors in la was the house kind of filled with music was it a really musical were you primed to get into a band like metallica uh yeah dad dad had a, a he turned me on to swing early on. I remember he gave me a Kings of Swing CD, but uh, he was big in the Beatles and Tom Petty. So that was the kind of music I was raised with and uh, the Eagles. Uh, mm-hmm. So until I found Metallica, I was more in the classic rock vibe. And that was just what I was exposed to from dad. Mom's really into Elvis and more of the, the 50s, early 60s stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, dad, it, lots of music in the house. And uh, that was one of the cool things when dad was passing it was a slow passing at home and uh, all his musician buddies came out of the woodwork and hung out with us for those couple weeks while he was at home waiting to pass and the house was full of music Mm. and so it was really rad just good vibes and as far as passings can go it was it was a nice one right so when did metallica come into play for you we're the same age was it the one video or was it inner sandman nope uh so uh to, uh, let's see, 1998, my sophomore year of high school was when I discovered Metallica. And so before then, I was just in the classic rock and a little bit of like alternative uh, current stuff. I remember I really liked the Wallflowers in mm. uh, ninth grade. Yep. And I had a buddy who was heavy into Metallica. And I, I just had preconceptions about what metal was. I figured it was Satan worshiping or just dumb headbanging stuff. I had no clue. And I don't know if anybody remembers, there was a channel called The Box. 
And there was VH1, MTV, and then there was the box, which was pretty much pay-per-view music videos. You could call in and pay a buck 99 and request a music video. Hmm. And so I used to turn that on and um, there was a video with a stripper and that caught my 16 year old eyes. And I'm like, oh, this song's pretty cool too. And I'm visually impaired. I'm legally blind. So I can't see well um, what you can see at 400 feet. I have to get up at 20 feet to see. So when those music videos came on my 1998 television, I can't see the little who it's by unless I get an inch away from the TV. So I kept seeing that stripper video and loving the song. And one day I finally get off my ass and I get close to the TV. And I'm like, that's Metallica. Mm. And I, I remember literally saying, being shocked, that's Metallica. And um, obviously that was turn the page. And I said to myself, oh, shit, if that's what Metallica is, then I got to check these guys out. I went and got the, the single, which had a live version of Bleeding Me, which uh, really also blew my mind and I really connected with. And then that made me want to get load. And that uh, just spread out from there. I, I really vibed with uh, Outlaw Torn and uh, Hero of the Day and Until It Sleeps. And for that first couple months, I still, I thought, oh, I only like early Metallica because I still had the preconception about 80s metal. And it, um, I made my mom get me a live shit binge and purge. That was kind of awkward saying, uh, yeah, mom, it's called uh, Metallica binge and purge. And she gets on the phone to see if it happens. She's like, she says it's called live shit. What, what are you <laughs> having me buy? Yeah. yeah. Can you just get it? For, and back then the box set was like 90 bucks mm -hmm. and with VHS tapes. And so I got that and, uh, that it, it turned me on to fade to black for whom the bell tolls and some more stuff there. Um, and it spread out from there, but it wasn't until a football coach of mine that fall gave me a promo copy of S and M. That's where I really got introduced to some of the early stuff, puppets and um, Cthulhu. And at that point, I was all in and I got every single CD. And within a year, I within six months, I was obsessed with them. And within a year, I was an expert on Metallica. Was that the first band that you did that with or, or were those classic rock Absolutely. bands? So that was the first band you were like, this is my band. I'm going to get all their records. Yeah. I really liked the Eagles and I loved that Hell Freezes Over album. Yeah. Um, but no, Metallica was the first where I got every album and i knew every song and i learned every lyric and uh i joined the met club uh, about a year later in preparation for the summer sanitarium concert and uh that was my first talica show uh freaking phenomenal at the coliseum uh they i really liked that tour and they were really tight and james's vocals were really good there even though he was uh, having his back problems and stuff uh so that was a hell of a show and a hell of a set list and then I, through the Met Club, uh, got to go to the My VH1 Awards, which was Jason's last show. Oh, wow. You were there. I was there and uh, met Jason. He came through the line as we were waiting. Super sweet dude. Uh, I had a disposable camera. We didn't have cell phones back in the early 2000s, everybody. And uh, so I, I gave my disposable camera to the guy next to me, and I got a picture with Jason. And then as he goes on down the line, I realized the guy used the wrong camera. Oh. And I'm, I go, Jason, come back, Jason. And he comes back and he takes a second picture with me. Knowing what we know now about that being the last show, was there a weird vibe or anything that you would have been able to pick up on knowing that that was going to be it? Not at all. Um, it, it, at that point, Jason was doing all the fan stuff. So it didn't seem odd that Kirk Lars and James didn't do anything. Uh, certainly watching the video, Jason does seem a little 
sullen and reflective during the song. Um, but then again, it's fade to black. So, uh, um, but that, and then they played, so what, uh, before fade to black, because uh, it was a fan vote. Right. I remember they they put a poll out there and they said, please don't vote for Inner Sandman. You've heard it a billion times. So fa- uh, so what won the vote? But they can't play that on my VH1. They didn't want to do a, a MTV Europe thing. And so they did Fade to Black. And it was a great performance. You know, um, what's interesting about that is I remember the exi- my bedroom. I was living with my grandmother at the time. I remember exactly where I was sitting watching that in real time. And I think it was you could mm-hmm. call you could call a, a, like an 800 number. And yeah. I don't know if they aired that on VH1, the so what part. I think they were, I think the way they aired it was like, oh, fade to black one. Yep. Which is yep. what we all, what my, my friends and I, fade to black was like our big ballad. So that was like mm-hmm. a victory for us. So you were there. That's really wild. Yeah. And then um, I've been really fortunate with the Met Club. I never got to meet and greet, which is the, the top of the mountain. I really want to meet James one day. But um, in 03, I got to be, uh, in casting for MTV icons, they had a fan moment they wanted to do. And the way they pitched it to us was we would actually send a message to Metallica. And then throughout the course of the day, it got pared down to one word about Metallica. And then even half of us were edited out of the TV broadcast. So it was turned out to be stupid, but I still got to be um, part of that event. And I was up on stage and yeah, we've um, actually covered that show. So are you, you're one of the people that says uh, powerful or, I, I got edited out. I just, I said masters. Okay. Say for one, one word. And, uh, and then the guy next to me, we agreed. He was just going to say Metallica. And then we got on our hands and knees and did the, we aren't worthy thing. Yeah. And they edited that out. I'm like, heaven forbid you have an unscripted, uh, spontaneous show of emotion. And, uh, but it was neat. Kirk and Lars were like, no, 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 we aren't worthy. Yeah. So it was a nice moment. That's um, cool. but yeah, the bizarre, uh, show. And, um, so I got to be a part of that and I got to go to the Fillmore 03. I got to go to night one of that. And that was especially cool because, you know, we're all expecting them to do St. Anger in its entirety. We're like, they're going to get ready for this upcoming tour and we're going to hear a, they didn't play. They played sad, but true off the black album and they played frantic and everything else was pre black album. It just blew all of our minds and it showed us what their mission statement going forward was and gave us a taste of, you know, uh, what the set list had been like ever since. And uh, Phantom Lord's one of my favorites and they busted that out for the first time since the 80s. So that was really cool. And uh, thank you, Met Club. Mm. And um, I also got to go to the uh, that's the nice thing about being in L.A. When these things happen, there aren't that many clubbers. And so when you go for a raffle, um, I, I guess I have pretty good odds. I got to go to the Call of Duty uh, airport hangar gig. Mm. And that was really cool. Uh, I got, I was second from the rail, uh, small little airport hangar and seeing Talica there. Um, have you been able to like make, have you been, been able to develop relationships with the Met club people who kind of run it? Like, do they recognize you that you've no, and it, not really. Cause I usually don't get by the rail. I was at the rail for the Fillmore and, um, otherwise I typically get seats just because I'm six foot nine. Uh, so I'm really big and I, I feel kind of guilty being up in the front and blocking normal size people, but at the same time I'm blind, so I can't see shit unless I'm right on the rail. Yeah. Um, but no, the Met club folks don't probably know me. Um, uh, there's one that I've, I made friends with in the two thousands, um, uh, on the message boards and, uh, he helped me out with something once. Um, but no, and, uh, I, I did get to go. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
Well, I was going to remind everybody, but I think you might, maybe you have other cool shows, but I was going to remind everyone, you're, you're one of the people that have been writing in and giving us a lot of first hand accounts of the uh, anniversary shows in 2011. Yep. Uh, I got the four pack. I can't, I still can't believe it a decade later, uh, $19 and 81 cents for a four pack of tickets. And, uh, that was once in a lifetime, uh, seeing James do the thing with, uh, apocalyptica. Yeah. Uh, the one, one. Yeah. And uh, the vibe at the crowd was really good. I thought for the most part, I think some of the time when they had some of these guests that were a little more obscure, some of the trues kind of got bitter and um but overall i thought it was a good energy and uh it was exhausting having to get in line because like i said i don't i normally go for seats because i don't want to have to get there at 6 a.m and uh to get the rail i got there at 2 a.m one night and uh finally got the rail and got a high five from james and uh lars spit ice water on me so (laughs) that was a good night yeah amazing so between the 2011 and this show any other interesting shows that you saw um, no, that's pretty, I went to one of the 40th anniversary shows. I went to the Rose bowl. So I've seen them 17 times total. Uh, can't believe it's that many. It yeah. doesn't seem like that many. Um, and I did travel up to NorCal for the bridge school in 2006. And that was a cool show. I like that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I want to talk about the low vision stuff too. Um, I kind of honed in on that before a lot of people don't know this, but before I moved to Nashville, I worked for a nonprofit in Birmingham that dealt specifically with uh, low vision stuff. So half the company did like half of our company did state sponsored screenings for kids to try try to catch vision Mm -hmm. problems. But the department that I was in, it was just me and maybe three people was we would get funding from the state to buy like CCTVs for kids that had low vision. So my job was to deliver it to families who we would try to, you know, we would, we were given budgets depending on the counties. And then we would drive to their houses. A lot of times it was, you know, kids that couldn't afford this kind of stuff. It was really expensive technology. Yeah. And then I would set it up for them and show them how to use it. So, uh, you know, I have a, I have a soft spot for that kind of stuff. And I want to talk about the, um, the, the technology you were using. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I was born this way. It's genetic. Part of my optic nerve is dead. So that's the cord that connects your eyeball to your brain. Nothing's blurry. Glasses don't help. Lasers don't help. Nothing can be done except for maybe stem cells. Uh, one day we're way behind on that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's so, so cool that you did that. Um, cause diagnosing it is tough. I, it, they noticed I had eye problems in kindergarten. It took them until third grade to figure out what was up. And at one point, you know, this is back in the eighties. One doctor told my folks, uh, it's probably AIDS. They didn't know that much about AIDS. Unbelievable. Like, oh, yeah. And well, and I wonder if this was true with you, but for a lot of kids, one of the reasons it's tough is because you'll see kids with a lot of behavioral problems because they can't see and you know, mm-hmm. no one knows they can't see. They sure as hell don't know because they don't have anything right. to compare it to. Um, and then you know how it is with kids. You've got three yourself. Like they just, you can really get behind. And then you get behind oh, yeah. to a certain point where it's, it becomes really hard to catch up. So trying to catch that stuff early is so important. For sure. Uh, AIDS, that's and, insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks. And uh, But for something as simple as facial recognition and facial cues, like I, with my naked eyes, I can't see your eyes. I can't see your, your face. And that's just a big part of social interaction. And so you, you kind of become withdrawn and talking about school, you can't see the board. So you just have to learn everything with your ears. And, uh, yeah, I got a hand-me-down CCTV from my great aunt that was 
the size of a desk and yeah. uh, so cumbersome to use. Um, but I, I got a piece of assistive technology called an eSight, and it's a headset. Think of like Jordy from Star Trek. And it's basically a CCTV that's in a pair of goggles. And so it projects onto these screens right in front of my eyes. And uh, like I said, without my without anything, I can see 20 over 400. So a normal person can see 400 feet. And think about that. That's more than a football field. Right. So if you can see something from more than a football field, I have to get up at 20 feet to see. That's right. less than 10 yards. And so with the ESET, I can see 2020. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, I was really lucky to do fundraising for it because uh, back in 2018, it was 10 grand. Now it's down to 6,000. Um, but uh, I, you guys retweeted me back then, um, I, I think, uh, and I got some donations from some Metallica fans and that helped me get this thing. Awesome. And, um, I, I used to coach high school football and so I have an education background. Eastside hired me and I now coach other visually impaired people on how to use this thing. And so that's really gratifying to work with the low vision community. And, uh, this all within my hands concert was the first time I've taken it with me to a, a show. And, uh, it, I didn't have great seats. I was in the back row of the front half of the theater. And uh, I'd say I was about 75 yards away. And without the east site, I couldn't see the band members at all. And with them, uh, I could distinguish the band. It, it, when you zoom in to 24 times with this thing, it's going to get a little grainy because it's a digital zoom. But I could see which one was James. I could see his movements and I could definitely see the the screens and stuff. So it, it was a really cool uh, experience. And it, for low vision people, when you wear something like this, you get self-conscious, but it, it's always amazed me in a good way how nobody gives a shit. Right. Security, I said, hey, it's a medical device. They let me write in and not one Metallica fan gave me a, a second look. Uh, it, it was really nice and uh, I can headbang with it. I found that out. So that was nice. <laughs> yeah. The technology has really come a long way. I mean, even from, I mean, I, I was working at the company I worked for in Alabama was called sight savers and it was mostly geared towards, towards kids, but, um, shoot, that was a 20, 2009. So I don't even think I ever even saw technology like what you just had. Like the assistive technology we mostly had was like you described that you got a hand-me-down CCTV. It was like really big, bulky stuff. Mm -hmm. And I saw it, I saw the screens get bigger and like the actual like you know machines of it get smaller. But man, like a headset like that that brings it into twenty twenty. That's amazing. It's it's rad. And uh, the little stuff being able to see my kids' faces without yeah. having to get up in their grill is really cool. And uh, it was a success in the Metallica show, so it was. Um, I'm really lucky in that I get a work forum. I'm going to be traveling to Vegas in a couple of weeks to represent the company and be a user and answer questions and stuff. So it's, man, that it's is really amazing. Cool to, yeah. What are the, what's the company called again? Esight. Esight. E S I G H T. And, um, there's several different versions of it, but the thing that I like about our, a lot of them are just the VR goggles with a, a camera built into it. Um, this one it's more like sunglasses. So you've got that peripheral vision. You can interact with the world still when you've got the VR style, you're locked into your screen. And so you can't walk around with, you can be mobile with these. Yeah. And, um, so it, it's, I'm really lucky, cool. but, uh, you know, it, I, I would love to get on the rail more often so I can not have to use technology because it takes you out of the show still when you're having to adjust and zoom in and try and dial the focus in. And so those couple of Fillmore shows where I was 
arms reach from them was uh, really cool because I can't do that otherwise. And it's hard to justify paying that much money for a concert when you can't see anything yeah. <laughs> and you might as well just buy the live Metallica afterwards. Well, I look forward to getting your, uh, some more breakdowns of the next two shows when we start to cover those two. It's interesting. It's hard to find information about, um, some of the details on those shows. And it, and it really seems like they were going to gear up to maybe put those out. But I, I really think that the vocals are going to keep it from ever being put out. I hate to say it, but it is what it is. It's a shame, though, because it was so unique. Yeah. And uh, I, I did win a toaster. I was won one of those games. I was the first night of Name That Riff. And I can't claim that I'm some badass. Jim Brewer didn't have the, the thing down yet. So like the first song was Harvester of Sorrow. And I hit the buzzer right away because I, I knew it by the first note. But then Jim Brewer's like, oh, no, you can't turn that off. Keep it playing. And then he played a minute of it. And then he says, okay, what song is that? <laughs> it's Harvester of Sorrow, Jim. Uh, so I can't claim that I, I really earned it. I was just quick on the buzzer. But yeah, yeah my prize was a Metallica toaster. Right. It says Bread Fan on it. And it's autographed by the boys. James wrote, stick knife in here, kids. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that I, it's a pretty cool, unique piece of Metallica stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you play any Metallica stuff for your kiddos? And we were talking about your family before, and you got you got one seven year old and a couple of smaller ones. You play any of that music for them? Lots of it. And the seven year old, uh, his favorite song is "Halo on Fire." Awesome. And he he wants to go to a show. I just don't know how to pull that off. And I, I'd love to hear from other listeners, like with their experiences with younger kids, because I see the interactions that James has with the kids in the front and I'd love to get my son on the rail and I just can't imagine him being cool with being in line that long or not having to piss. And so I just don't know how to pull it off, but I'd love to go to a show you know, with him one day. I'm going to get you in touch with my friend, Aaron Ginther, who um, he takes his daughter Kendall in all the time. He's been, I think over a hundred shows. Wow. Great dad, obviously a devoted Metallica fan. And I think he's had all different kinds of variations of, being close or being further away so i'll send an email and get you guys hooked up after this because maybe he could give That'd you some good advice for the tour coming up so yeah. getting tickets to the all within my hands gig what was that like was was that just like a ticketed uh, event where you could just buy tickets to or i mean it was in a much bigger theater this time Seven thousand uh, was the capacity it was a clusterfuck um i was a legacy member pre-sale and you were supposed to be entitled to two tickets and that me being visually impaired, not being able to drive, that's really important that I have somebody to go with. And when I got, I was logged in, ready to go. And the ticket system would only let you buy one. Mm. I'd add one to cart and it would say, you've reached your maximum. And I go back and check and it says you, you're allowed two tickets for the legacy presale and it wouldn't work. And so I, uh, hemmed and hawed a little bit like oh, do i want to go solo I, I hate ubering by myself and i went for it and i got a, a handicapped seat uh, because i figured that would be easier for me to find and um then i kept thinking about it and i'm like i want my buddy to go and so i created him a fifth member account for free and then did the fifth member pre-sale got one ticket for him uh, a couple hours later and so we were seated apart Luckily, security was cool, and they let him join me down in the handicap section. Oh, nice. Uh, but yeah, big headache uh, for that purchasing process. It was Access. Access was the platform, and it, it sucked. Hmm. Interesting. So you had a buddy to go with you, so you at least had that. And then they let him sit yeah. with you, so that's good. Even if 
even if they hadn't let him sit with you, you at least would have had someone to help you get in and out. And but that's yeah. cool. He got to sit with you. So what's his, what's his level of? If you're a ten out of ten on fandom, is he similar to you? <laughs> he's a six out of ten. Um, he, he's been with me to several concerts. He knows a good amount of the stuff, but he he doesn't know every song. And um, he was super stoked that they played Creeping Death. That's one of his favorites. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he's a six point five maybe. So walk us through the uh, walk us through like the beginning, you know, like I know that Kimmel was there. I know Tom Morello said something. Iron Man was there. This is all stuff I wasn't able to see <laughs> um, on the live stream. I'm sure it'll all once they put it all together. But walk us through kind of like before the boys came on. Yeah, I, so I was it was streaming and I was watching it in the Uber and there was a black carpet event where the uh, host lady was interviewing Kimmel, interviewed several of the other people that uh, showed up. None of that was particularly interesting. Yeah. Um, I got into the, it was easy access. It was a nice venue. My first time ever being there. Uh, easy entry, uh, big lobby where everybody was. It seemed like nobody cared about the opening act um, because everybody was just in line for drinks. And um, Kimmel uh, got a good reaction, I think. Um, I saw a lot of negative comments from uh, people on Facebook saying, oh, if Kimmel's involved, then I'm out. Really, you can't just uh, tune in when you know Metallica is going to be on. And uh, you know, what's the extend. what's the Kimmel problem? Is that he's that he's a kind of left leaning, yeah, comedy yeah. guy. And he, he was you know just talked Metallica. He's not going to do his normal shtick. He's right. there for Metallica, right? Totally. And um, most of the presenters kept it pretty short. Uh, I found the all within my hands stuff interesting, uh, especially in regards to the. Um, uh, colleges and stuff and they had they brought one uh young lady up who uh thanks to all within my hands is now uh i think a welder or a, a riveter for air airplanes hmm. and she has a badass job and she was able to work while she got trained for it and all within her hands helped her out uh, awesome. so uh, yeah that was cool uh mike Rowe, the guy from dirty jobs he he went on a little bit long uh you know these people got to keep it everybody wants to see metallica so right. he, he went on a little bit long um but overall it was not too, nothing special uh robert downey came on right before metallica he introduced metallica and he had good energy he's a, a true fan um were, were there celebrities around like in the crowd or did you see anybody like that in the front row, front couple rows, yeah. Then they had some couch areas. There were some celebrities. I I couldn't make them out. Um, yeah. Uh, but on the on the black carpet, there were several. I don't remember who, but yeah, it was. There were definitely some celebrities there. I was. Um. I mean, I hate to say it, but I was watching the Lakers game while I was on. It was, <laughs> it was interesting to think, like, because I think Crypto.com Arena is right by that theater. Stones throw away. Yeah, we yeah. were a little nervous about uh, that. And. Uh, we were expecting Metallica to go on at eight or something. I didn't really think about the live stream. They came on at uh, seven thirty, um, and ended by nine. And so that was going to correspond with the Laker game getting out. Right. And uh, we got out with nine minutes to go in the Laker game. So it, it was pretty easy getting in and out. And LA traffic in general can be pretty rough. I mean, <sighs> what, what part of town are you guys in? I mean, obviously not your exact address, but. We're in the valley, so okay. it took us an hour to Uber from my house to the venue, and it took us 30 minutes to get back at 9.30 at night. The last time I was touring through there, my wife hopped on the bus with us, and then she she rode with us for about a week, and then she was going to fly out of LA. And we were staying in, uh, I can't even remember, we were staying in a part of LA that has its own airport, a smaller airport. 
Mm-hmm. I can't even Burbank. Think. Burbank, exactly. Yeah. So we were like, we had a hotel there. Our bus was going to stay there, but I didn't know that. So I booked her a flight home out of LAX. <laughs> oh no. So I yeah. get her. So we just went to that part of LA. We went and had lunch. I get her on the plane and this is like six o'clock and I was going to take an Uber back to our bus. It was going to be like two hours. It was going to be like $120. <laughs> and the um, the Uber driver was like, you just need to stay around this part of town for a couple hours. And it's just amazing yeah. how how hard it can be to get around over there. It's as bad as you everybody's heard. Yeah. And yeah, the Uber driver, uh, Uber drive there cost 70 bucks yeah. and took an hour. And it was 60 bucks going back and it took a half hour. And it was really tough to get an Uber with all the people leaving the car. We were there for... 25 minutes trying to get a ride what do you think about it being called crypto.com arena it will forever be staples yeah uh, just totally. like uh my steelers is no longer heinz field it's now Acresure stadium uh yeah i don't recognize so it. you're a steelers fan not a chargers or a rams fan no uh i was my dad had raised raiders season tickets when i was little but when they moved i wasn't gonna follow them they broke my heart by leaving when i was 10 or whatever and uh i wasn't gonna go be a fan of uh, a former rival their chargers and i welcome the rams back i hate their new uniforms but uh in the 90s after the raiders left i, I needed a new team and uh, that was jerome bettis and bill cower era and mm-hmm. uh, i latched onto the steelers and been a fan ever since and they're not very good these days but yeah well hey i'm a titans fan I've, i feel your pain i guess after big ben big ben left you guys got to rebuild some stuff yeah, it's going to take some time. What about uh, basketball? Are you Clippers or a Lakers fan? A Lakers fan. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be like 18 during the, the prime Kobe, the Kobe Shaq. Shaq so yeah. that, that was fun. And um, not in love with basketball like I am baseball and football, but uh, yeah, Lakers fan. And I'm guessing a Dodgers fan? Yes. Yeah. I, I fell out of love pretty hard with baseball when Fox bought the Dodgers in the late 90s, got rid of everybody that I liked, and really kind of got rid of the soul of the team. But in the last five or six years, I've I've reconnected with them and uh, it's fun to watch, even though it's, they are the Yankees of the West coast. I make no qualms about it. They, (laughs) they just buy their talent. Yeah. Warriors kind of do that too. Um, Right now there are probably a thousand people in their cars yelling at us to quit talking about this (laughs) and to talk about the show, Um, which I'm loving the sports talk, but I get it. Um, So the boys come on with the acoustic stuff. Was there a buzz or did you did you know they were going to maybe do like a split kind of set or was everything just fresh and new? Everything was fresh. I was expecting all acoustic, Uh, even though at that pandemic gig with Salesforce and all the things on the wall, they did a split set um, at the last in-person helping hands concert it was all acoustic so that's kind of what i was expecting and yeah there was a good buzz um i was shocked because i had a good view of the crowd because i was in the handicap row back of the front half of the theater so i couldn't help but take in the crowd around me and throughout i saw very few heads bobbing like right. it, it was a theater environment so obviously there's no mash mosh pit but i'm looking around and just everybody's very statuesque and i'm 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 rocking out. I'm bobbing my head. And uh, so the crowd was really subdued. And uh, I was surprised by that. Um, and it, I think James noticed too, because a couple of times he, during whiskey, he said, hey, you out there, LA? And he got a little pop from the crowd. But I was disappointed by the energy in the, the, in the crowd. Um, I'm wondering if it was because it's LA, it's kind of a charity type event. There are mm-hmm. celebrities in the house. And you know how that is that 
you know, the, the muckety mucks of the world are going right. to, they're not going to party as hard as the, the true fans, you know? So maybe there was that kind of red carpet vibe. It's seated. It's acoustic. Yeah. I, I would have expected it though. Cause I'm not sure how many numbers the legacy and the fifth member, but just the legacy and the fifth member people that were there should have elevated the, the yeah. energy in there a little bit. Um, but uh, let's see. It started off with Blackened, and I, I, I dig that version of it. Uh, so I'm always happy to hear that. And it's still fairly fresh and new. Yeah. Um, and uh, Avi brings I, – I, I really like his vocals with James. And he, he adds lots of depth with the various instruments he plays. He plays a mandolin at some point, right? Yep, mandolin, a 12-string acoustic, the, the background vocals. And by the way, for those listening, uh, next week's episode is going to feature Avi talking all about the gig. So lots of – we talk a lot about his vocals and what he brings to the table. I agree with you. I, I think his voice blends with James. I told Avi, you know, it's like with Jason, we it was great. Jason had a great kind of complimentary growl. Mm-hmm. I think Rob and Kirk do their jobs, you know, they're serviceable. Right. But we've never really heard what Avi brings to the table, which is like a really clean, pretty harmony, other than like mm-hmm. James overdubbing himself on the middle records. Right. But hearing someone live, like really compliment, like the courses of Unforgiven is such mm-hmm. a treat. I mean, it's almost to the point it'd be cool if they... Figured out a way to Permanent. do that permanently, yeah. I, I would be down. And uh, nothing else matters in the final verse before the final chorus. Um, he he goes high, James goes low, and it, it's just really nice. Yeah, um, And uh, go back and watch some of the 90s uh, era Metallica, and Jason can do the pretty vocals too. Nothing else matters, Unforgiven. He can harmonize with James in there. And uh, I agree. Yeah. You know, the, the video I think of all the time is there's a live broadcast of I Disappear, and the, for whatever reason, his vocals mixed real hot. That happens sometimes. And mm-hmm. you really hear how like capable he really was of doing actual non-growly harmony. But he just yeah. didn't do it all that much. But yeah, you're right. It, it's in there. And um, the, the audio in the theater was terrible. I just, to prep for this today, I watched. It's streaming now uh, on Paramount Plus for okay. everybody on demand. And um, I, I could not hear Rob uh, bass very well in person and Lars's uh, kick drums couldn't hear him when they played Lux Eterna. Um, I was listening for that double bass and couldn't hear it live. And mm. I was kind of disappointed. And then I saw the the broadcast today and it's there. He was playing it. And uh, so the, the audio was pretty, pretty not great there in person. So that might've added to the energy. And it didn't bit. get better. It didn't get better as it went on. It kind of stayed poor. It, it got a little bit better when they went electric, but still Rob was pretty low in the mix live and uh, Lars's drums did not sound great. And I, I think James even commented when they start and stopped Lux that Lars, he kind of made fun of Lars going, no, oh, my, my drums are not to my liking. Right. Right. Um, so the second song was unforgiven. Um, that that's always a treat. I, I will never get tired of that song. So, um, uh, and Avi brings a lot to it. I was not familiar with the two other cover, the, the next two borderline and, um, uh, it's killing me. So they both sounded good uh, for two songs I wasn't uh, familiar with. I enjoyed it, um, but I think the crowd kind of dipped there. I felt the same way. I mean, I, it, it's fun to get debuts, but I didn't know them. It, it, it seemed a little boring to me. Maybe if I am more familiar with the song, but I guess they kind of did that too with maybe When a Blind Man Cry. What were the other ones they did at the Masonic? They did some covers there too. Please don't do yeah, this I'm me, s- but they've done that before. Uh, 
Right. Uh, at the Bridge School in 06, they did four covers in a row. They did Judas, I Want to Celebrate, Brothers in Arms, and uh, so, uh, Psychic War slash uh, Only Happening When It Rains. So they did four covers back-to-back there. But yeah, I'm surprised with only doing five acoustic songs, they would do back-to-back debut covers. Yeah, it's interesting. And then they brought it back with whiskey. Uh, I, I like the acoustic version, and uh, it's always fun seeing. It. James seems to really like. I get off on watching the boys have fun. I, yeah. I really like it when James is into it and headbangs or goes right up to Lars or gets next to a speaker, an amp, and starts rocking out. So um, whenever they're having fun, that makes me have fun. And he seemed to be enjoying playing whiskey. And. Uh, then they took a break, which I was shocked by. Uh, none of, uh, I was shocked that they came out and did uh, electric. And uh, what what was going on during the break? Like, how long did it last? Were they just resetting the stage? Just resetting the stage, and uh, so maybe ten minutes uh, enough for a beer break. And I I, I was a little bit disappointed. I mean, I'm never going to be sad if electric metallica plays <laughs> so uh you know but i i was kind of looking forward to more acoustic stuff because that's just more rare and it's only the the third total uh helping hands thing and um uh i would have loved to hear him play bleeding me acoustic i thought that came out really good when they did that a couple years ago yeah i agree and um and i've always enjoyed their remixes uh when they did do horseman acoustic or when they redo a song and the fact we didn't get a new redo was a little disappointing. Right. Because uh, disappoint- they did, uh, yeah, they did Disposable Heroes for one of them. The Blacken mm-hmm. was a redo. Four Horsemen, uh, yeah. Inter- Sandman. They did Sandman in that slow, kind of creepy way, uh, right. The Last Helping Hands. And uh, so that was a little disappointing, but that disappointment quickly went away when they busted out Cthulhu. Right. <laughs> so, what a treat. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I-, I was lucky to hear that at the Fillmore. Uh, but still, that's so rare, and it sounded great. Um, the the guitar minis there at the end that that ending segment of Cthulhu is one of my favorite pieces of metallic music. That is just so epic. Uh, so that that got the energy up, and um, then the next one was Harvester, which I'm I'm happy to hear. But that was when I really took a look around the audience, and the audience was still real real still. And I, I was a little surprised that okay, now that they're electric, they weren't more hyped um and uh Har- harvester sounded good they had those big screens behind them and um it, james looked good like yeah. in recent years he, it's crazy how quick he kind of turned into grandpa head and uh i i'd see him in like 28 2019 going oh boy he ages finally kept crept up but he looked fresh and and healthy yeah uh, the other night and uh, it was good to see that. Yeah, I know. I know we're all kind of um, not fixate on that, but you know, I think we're all looking for indicators that things are looking good and feeling good for a two-year tour. And I know everyone was happy to see him looking kind of in shape and and excited and vibrant. Yeah, yeah, vi- vibrant's a good word. And then Holier was next, and I'm always happy to hear that one. That's a fairly deep cut. I'm. It doesn't get. I think you guys broke that down one time with. It, it's been played like. Under a hundred times, I think. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. I would definitely consider it a deep cut. It's one of my favorites. I would have been stoked to see that. Yeah, and James sounded good uh, overall. His vocals were pretty good. Um, and uh, then the next one was the "All Within My Hands" 
acoustic version done electrically, which they did with the disposable heroes at that virtual yep. uh, one. And that, that was good. I, I liked it. Um, and the audience, I don't get that. The, the St. Anger uh, outrage, uh, you know, it, I don't revisit that album really at all, but I, I don't hate it because it, it got Metallica through almost breaking up. And um, what did James I, I say before? It, did he say, did he say street anger that people were calling it street <laughs> anger? Yeah. Yeah. What was he talking about? That kind of went over well, my uh, head. When you look at a, a road sign, if it's uh Oh, copy that. ST ST period. So and that was funny for me because my buddy back in 03 was like, what the hell is street anger? So people actually do say that, apparently. <laughs> I thought I, I I mean, I thought that this new kind of electric <laughs> it's deconstructed, reconstructed. It's such an interesting journey this song's been on. I thought it felt a lot like load stuff. I mean, I, I thought it was a pretty pretty good success. Um yeah. I liked it better than the disposable hero ones, but I like that one too. But I thought mm-hmm. this was pretty cool, and Avi got to come back out. Was this the only time he came back out, other than Nothing Else Matters? I yeah yeah okay. Which was cool. it, might as well have him out there. Um, yep. But yeah, uh, but yeah, that I liked that. That was and you're right on with the, the load vibes. And uh, then it was Creep, uh, pretty pretty standard performance of Creep, and. Um, that's another one that I will never complain about being in the the set list. And then we got Sandman. And so that started to give me, I started to get a little anxious about, okay, uh, Sandman, I I hope this isn't going to end soon. And I was really hoping for a a two hour show, especially since it's a Metallica charity thing. And that's typically what the boys play. I think for a show is two hours. And uh, so I started getting a little nervous because we're at like an hour and, 10 minutes now and i didn't want it to end and uh uh so sandman is what it is and then it was the debut of lux and uh they did the start stop so something wasn't right there uh with uh, i i couldn't really figure out why they stopped it looked like um lars's ride symbol the the stand that holds it fell so he called (laughs) he called jimmy his his drum tech to come out and fix it and then yeah jake Never, never a missed opportunity for James to throw a little poison dart at Lars. He's like, everything okay to your liking now, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and that reminds me of the story James told about like their first gig, Motor Breath, and mm-hmm. Lars' symbol kept falling over. Yeah, so, that's so funny. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Exactly. And uh, Luck sounded good, James's vocals. I mean, that that chorus, that's a high thing for him to hit, and that that's not easy. And I he, totally agree. Um, and I, I like that song more and more, the more I hear about it. Um, at first when, when new Metallica hits me, it takes a while to soak into my brain. I remember when death magnetic came out, my friends would say, Hey, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know yet. I need to process this a lot more. And same thing with hardwired. And, uh, but the more I process Lux, the more I like it. And I, I think I like it better than hardwired the song. I do too. And, um, uh, it shows promise. I can't wait for the album. We're four or five months away. Same. Uh, nothing. Uh, I, I thought, uh, what was the St. Vincent? St. Vincent. Yeah. Is that the, I, I thought she did well. Um, I, I like the Miley Cyrus, uh, Howard Stern with Metallica performance, but I, I think I like St. Vincent, uh, a little bit better and certainly better than that. Uh, one from a couple months ago with, um, what was that? Global citizens performance. Right. Right. 
Yeah. That that girl seemed a little uh, nervous at Global Citizens, but St. Vincent, I thought, sang well. And she meshes with James really well, too, during those uh, choruses together. It was Mickey Guyton who did the vocals. Um, okay. Which she's a country girl here in town. I thought her recording was good, but yeah, the, the performance was a little rough. I agree. Yeah. Um, but I, I liked it. What did you think about St. Vincent with him? I thought it was cool. I like her. Like, I, you know, I have a few of her records. I like her on her own. I thought her cover of Sabbath True was really cool. And I just think she's cool. She's got a lot of cred. She's the real deal. And I think, you know, they game recognizes game. They know. So I I think I would ultimately prefer to see them play just themselves or with Avi. Yeah. But if they're going to have a guess, it's cool. It's nice. Yeah. But especially with the, it ended up being an hour and a half, 90 minute set. And uh, yeah, I'd prefer if it's that short of a set, then maybe not have a guest with them. But uh, I'm, I'm glad James at least sang a, a verse or two. So it wasn't just her the whole time. I thought he particularly ripped the solo too. I thought the solo was particularly good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a little bit different. He started off differently than a normal. He like held that first note longer or something. He was putting a little yeah. attitude in it. I liked it. I, maybe he was kind yeah. of inspired by Annie because, uh, you know, the St. Vincent girl, she's a great guitar player too. So anytime a great guitar player has got another kind of fresh great guitar player near them there's it put it brings something out of you you know i i always feel like james loves when he doesn't have to be the lead singer and yeah. when he's playing rhythm like i go back to that uh hall of fame anniversary gig where he was uh with ozzy mm-hmm. and you see him playing paranoid he's got such a shit-eating grin on his face yep. and it, you know all he has to do is play guitar and then sing a little bit of backing vocals and he, he always seems to have fun when they did the uh Four Horsemen with uh, John Bush. Yep. Uh, James was really having fun there too. And uh, so I, I, again, like seeing James have fun. Same. And, um, and then Seek. And I personally could live without seeing Seek anymore just because it was the closing song from 2005 through 2018. It, you know, I've probably seen it live every single concert and, uh, I don't mind it intermixed in there, but to have that be the closer, I, I'm I'm ready for it to be something else. Uh, I dug when they were doing. I think Puppets is the closer recently. Yeah, well, I think in, for I think for most of the World Wire tour, Seek was like three or four. Okay, uh, but they did play at every show, and I'm with you. I yeah. could I could I could bounce that one for something different for yeah. sure. Yeah, and so. I was just like, no, this can't be it. This can't be the end of it. It's only nine o'clock. Well, that is midnight on the East coast. And we said, okay, well, maybe they got to do an encore, right? This is their charity thing. And, uh, nope. They hit the house lights and that was it. So that was, it was, it felt a little sudden. Um, I would have liked a couple more, but you know what? They've been a band for 40 plus years. They get to do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, and totally. uh, I, I am just going to cherish every minute I have with that band uh, until they decide to hang it up. So, uh, you know, I was a little bit disappointed, but were the tickets you know, expensive? They, yeah, it was uh two ninety five a piece. Dang. And, and was it the case where the ticket the proceeds of the tickets went to the charity too, or yes. Okay. Yeah. All, I think a hundred percent. So that, that's good. And, but yeah, it was a pricey ticket. So I would have liked a little bit more. Um, and th- there wasn't anything in the, there was no like Metallica showcase. There was no, uh, exhibit or anything. The lobby was just bare bones. So there, it wasn't like a Metallica event and there wasn't, they didn't even have the auction items up for you to look at. 
so that that was a little disappointing. I could have used a little more Metallica, but um, so if they sold, still, if all the tickets were three hundred bucks, which I'm guessing the closer ones were more expensive, and they sold yeah. seven thousand tickets, that's two point one million dollars in revenue. That's wild. Yeah, and uh, they. It's a good charity, though, so I'm I'm happy to have contributed, and I, I didn't end up uh, getting tickets for LA for the '72 seasons uh, concert because uh, when I added it to cart, there was a $179 Ticketmaster charge, and that took the two tickets up from um, a subtotal of seven something to almost a thousand bucks after taxes. It's, and I just said ridiculous. Yeah, and it's two shows, but I, I just can't swing that. And uh, I might try and pick up one solo ticket um, to one show, but um, yeah, just couldn't. And I'm kind of regretting that now because none of us know this might be their last ride. Right. And I, I'd, I'd be bitter if I missed their last ride, but uh, 180 bucks for Ticketmaster charges is just offensive. <laughs> I, I'm hoping there's a reckoning coming with all that stuff soon. I mean, the Taylor, the good news about the Taylor Swift thing being such a debacle is that I think it's going to force. A reckoning yeah so i don't know if that'll catch up to the metallica tour but i think it's gonna at least our kids are gonna be able to go see their favorite bands without <laughs> this the insanity of of being just raked over the coals with that stuff yeah well dude amazing story it's so cool i love hearing your uh firsthand experience i love that you're able to use that low vision technology it's so cool that they've partnered with you and now they're going to send you out to help kids that are dealing with it what a cool story man yeah my youngest, my youngest person I worked with is six and the oldest is 96. And that, that's kind of trippy teaching a 96 year old how to use technology. But the six year old does awesome. You know, as you'd expect, the kids do really well with it. And uh, I was coaching a 21 year old who's getting ready to go off to college with it. And uh, it, it's, it's really neat. And um, it was nice that I was able to headbang with it and that it didn't bother anybody and uh headbang approved the boys. yeah exactly <laughs> and but it, thanks for having me man it was great to meet you uh, virtually in person and i've uh, been a fan for a while you guys you guys do a great podcast thanks man same to you hey everyone clinton ethan here and we want to tell you about a little thing called patreon Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SM2 and Slang Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, 26 quarantine covers, and Lunar Satan demos, invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions, and eligibility for our Metal Tale series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. <laughs> I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, Nuprin. Little. Yellow. Different. <laughs>